talk about revolution That's going a little bit too far So love me, love me, love me I'm a liberal Ran great guns in the campaign It was an insurgency, boy, a sight to see And then you drove to the middle of the road The moment after you took the oath <clears throat> Just the middle of the road Nothing but a long line painted yellow. Excuse me, sir. I wanted to retire five years ago, but I waited for a Democrat. I wanted a Democrat. <laughs> and instead, I got you. Hello, and welcome back again to More Like the Worst Wing podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Dave. And I'm Stu. Your other host... And we're here to discuss the ninth episode of Season 1 of The West Wing, entitled The Shortlist, which revolves around two major topics, uh, the, the, the eponymous shortlist, referring to the shortlist of Supreme Court justices, of which the White House is nominating a new one, for there is a retiring old justice. Topical. Extremely topical. Um, and then the second is that a... Uh, who's... Uh, Lil- Lillian Field, is he a senator? I believe he is uh, a representative. 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 That makes more sense. Um, a, a House represent A Republican representative accuses the White House of... Uh, w- the White House staffers of being on drugs. <laughs> Just cate- drugs. categorically... Like, it goes on stage in a national press conference, essentially, and says that the White House staffers are all on drugs. <laughs> right. Uh, as opposed to the old staffers who were honorable, like Donald Rumsfeld. Who apparently, and I didn't even notice, Dave picked up on the fact that he gets a shout-out by name. Yes. Holy hell. That aged well. Um, so let's just, let's hop into it here. Uh so the retiring Supreme Court justice uh, is crap. What's his What's his name? I can't remember his name. It's an, It's another generic name. Um, yeah. Let's see if I can Google it real quick. Um, but anyway, I mean, he's the the essentially the episode opens with Bartlett, or actually, I mean, it really opens with Josh crowing about having a, a success on the doorstep. Or whatever. Correct. And okay, yeah. so it's Justice Crouch. So the president goes to Crouch. to basically do uh, fun- what would functionally be a, a debrief with the departing uh, Supreme Court justice as he prepares right. to make the announcement or you know go through the process of selecting a new one of the of not of announcing the nomination before yes. the actual you know Senate hearings and whatnot, um, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and so, and then meanwhile, so that happens, and then uh, as as Sam and Toby are working on vetting uh, the new choice, um, a congressman Lillianfield comes on the TV uh, and starts bemoaning the loss of distinguished White House staff, uh, and then makes the accusation that one in three members of the White House staff use drugs on a regular basis. Uh, which then immediately <laughs> Toby's like, get CJ. CJ's like, I'm watching it. They all kind of have a little mini freak out, but not really because they view it as a ultimately pointless threat. No, it's an incredibly um, specific and bizarre. I guess this is actually sort of almost to me, it seems just a very much a product of the times where it's yes. like, we're going to 
make a make a threat that sounds like it's credible couched in all this weird language but then just be like i'm just gonna go on tv and say it like i don't expect to be challenged about this or anything yeah well you know why would the reporters ask for proof or Or dig in further or anything he's an authority figure he can say what he wants he just he just gets to talk Mm -hmm. (laughs) he's a congressman are you a congressman (laughs) um so let's let's hop into the the actual nomination here. So the nom the sh- the shortlist, the eponymous shortlist, is basically one man who is named Peyton Cabot Harrison the Third. How distinguished! Which, which, as you wrote here, is a great name for a robber baron or a serial killer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Let's see. This is it's funny. I have another friend who is a, a the third, but his full name is not nearly as like grossly sort of um, imperialist. Yeah, yeah being, being a third is like, I feel is a, a slight form of child abuse where <laughs> you, your your father was named this name, his father was named this name, and yet he went on to pick that name for you again anyway. <laughs> and it's the sort of insufferable thing where you go to a family reunion and it's like, well, I'm Jim, and that there's James, and that one's Jamie. No, it's like uh, the, jo- the George Foreman style of naming your <laughs> yeah. kids, or the Wesley Snipes style, as it stands. <laughs> uh, so Peyton Cabot Harrison the uh, Third is our incoming justice, and they're vetting him, and they're vetting him, and they're vetting him, and everything looks fine. He's going to sail through in a very easy nomination process, and this is something that the White House is really prioritizing more than his actual political opinions on anything is just how quickly and easily he will sail through and give them an approval bump in the polls. Yeah, and so the the, the nomination itself is clearly being used as a political tool, mm-hmm. but, but a political tool focused specifically on the specific administration's problems at the time, which is Correct. just so stupid because, again, we're talking about a lifetime fucking appointment here. And they're right. just like, well, we need to win this week in the news cycle. What can we do? Hmm, let's appoint a right. Supreme Court justice. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, <laughs> and it, it, no one seems concerned about the, you know, the long-term ramifications here other than Sam late in the episode when they finally kind of swing back around to the correct opinion. Yeah, and I mean, I think so. And I wrote a couple things down where it's like, you know, there's this tremendous just credential check out the gate where it's like Josh is just blowing down the hall in this walk and talk where he's listing off his qual this guy's qualifications. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, Harvard Law, the editor Harvard Law Review, like mm-hmm. all this, all this, you know, the, your, your standard elitist garbo that is supposed mm-hmm. to essentially um, vouchsafe the character, integrity right. and capacity of this right. person, which and then yeah. that is literally all we hear about them. Correct. Nothing about his stance on anything. Nothing about like amazing cases he's presided over, or great judgments, or or you know landmark decisions that you know paved the way for a whole new field of legislation. Or nothing. Nothing like that. Just that you know he went to Harvard and he did cool things at Harvard, <laughs> etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Like no, we hear nothing of that, and it's just like you said, it's meant to just sort of like assure the listener of like, no, 
He has credentials, okay? Okay? He's fine. Yeah, trust us, the authority figure here, to know what we are doing and what's good for you. And it's also, I wrote here where it's like basically... It's it's a representative very much of the the removal or the distance that is a very sort of Democratic Party thinker type position on separation of powers in the federal government, where it's, oh, the Supreme Court stands at a remove and impartially judges through the power of judicial balls review, and strikes. balls and strikes yep. the whole time. And it's just, it's complete crap. And obviously in this show and in this capacity, it's presented completely uncritically as like a fundamental assumption. Correct, yeah. And uh, yeah, it's it's ridiculous. Um. We do eventually, so we eventually um, meet Peyton Cabot Harrison the third. Correct. He's played by Hank Hooper from 30 Rock. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> which was fun to see. Yeah, uh, he's much less friendly and huggable in this role, mm-hmm. unfortunately. <laughs> he does not look yeah. like the kind of man who would give you a birthday hug. Well, and I did a little bit of research on the guy. Apparently, so he's dead now. Unfortunately, he died in 2016. Um, Rest in peace, yeah. Ken Howard. R.I.P. Ken Howard. Uh, he was president of SAG for like four yeah. years. Right after the, right after the writers' strike in 2008, he came on and took on the mantle and negotiated the. Uh, merger into what then became its successor, um, SAG-AFTRA, which I can never, it's like American Film and Television something association. Probably radio. Yes. I'm guessing is the R. Makes sense. And then, um, so, but he's, he isn't particularly, he's not a A A-list celebrity actor, but he had quite the distinguished career, distinguished, I was going to say esteemed, distinguished (laughs) career in television and a show that i had never heard of called the white shadow which was on the air between 1978 and 1981 in which he played a retired nba basketball player who takes on a and i wrote this down a michelle pfeiffer dangerous minds-esque coaching job at a black high school in i believe south central la um so and from what I've read, and again, never seen an episode of the show, didn't even know it existed, but apparently it was quite um, controversial and quite progressive in the way that it portrayed a lot of what was then considered to be extremely adult issues like, you know, the challenges of STDs, drug abuse, homosexuality among a high school aged group of black protagonists. And it apparently paved the way for a lot of the any other shows from there on out that had serious dramatic treatments of people that age lives wow so he's a cool guy the more the more you know um so yeah he uh and he plays so the thing that the the conflict that comes up everything seems to be smoothing you know going along smoothly with this guy's nomination uh the conflict that comes up is during the vetting sam gets a call uh that there's a note that uh, this man wrote. It's unsigned, but uh, it makes uh, clear his position on a Editor's note, a right to privacy as defined by the Constitution. Dave initially said abortion here, and we're getting our signals crossed in a very um, prelude to things to come way down the road in the series, but this unsigned note is specifically about the right to privacy and the judge's opinion on that um, from an anonymous source.
and I can't remember how it's broken up. They don't really go into detail, but the the quote unquote note is from what I think when he departed the editorship of Harvard Law Review or when he graduated, whatever the august institution he was a president of, it's traditional to write one of these and have it published and just be like, this is this is Mr. Anonymous writing a serious legal piece, but it's understood to be this guy. And Sam is also like, he physically says, I've read everything this guy has written since he was a 2A or whatever. Right. And I can tell that this is him. And this opinion is tremendously problematic. Right, exactly. So this this kicks off sort of the main crisis of the episode where, uh, well, actually kind of Bartlett also kicks it off where he's just like, hey, did we really look at like anyone else? <laughs> and all the staffers are like, uh, not really. He's like, well, may- maybe we should have looked at someone else. <laughs> well, yeah, and it's, I mean, it immediately belies the fact that they they have taken a serious look at this because they're just like, they're so focused on saying this guy checks all the boxes. He's going mm-hmm. to accomplish our political agenda. And mm-hmm. the hell if we ever thought about what he might mean for the next 30 years of jurisprudence. Right. In the it's country. clear. Yeah, it's clear. No one has thought of that. Even a lick. <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's let's take a break here, and then we'll come back to talk about the second man on the short list, uh, Mr. Mendoza. <laughs> so, Justice Roberto Mendoza, Mendoza is is played by the always esteemed, always fantastic Mr. The One, the Only Edward James Almost. Yeah, Admiral Adama, baby. Uh, it's such a it, it's not only such a amazing thing to see him sh- show up. The other people in the West Wing seem to understand that, like, <laughs> oh, it's Edward James Olmos. It's Edward James Olmos. Like, all the staffers are just talking amongst themselves when he's walking through the building in an excited <laughs> manner. And I like to think it's because they're all secretly bows yeah. to Galactica fans. <laughs> or or it's, not, it's, nothing, yeah, it's nothing to do with, like, them acting their part. It's literally that they're sort of starstruck. Yeah, by they're having, starstruck by uh, Stand by and deliver Jaime, Jaime Escalante walking through the, <laughs> the <Yeah>. White House. <laughs> So yeah, EJO is great. Um, like he's famous, you know, from Selena. He played the famous singer's dad. Um, he's just done. He's been an avatar for uh, Latino activism in both Hollywood and honestly throughout the country and other sectors of society. Um, he actually founded Latino Public Broadcasting, which is something that That's can be awesome. heard heard in the entire like southwestern third of the country um the los angeles uh latino international film festival and then another topical little jab here he actually spent 20 days in jail about 15 years ago for being on what was essentially a picket line protesting the navy's bombing of vieques puerto rico um, which is still topical as sort of a knock on to the hurricane last year where it's like well yeah we've actually always been fucking with puerto rico it's yeah, just people don't no know shit. about it so yeah well that that'll come up uh even more topically the next time we see him when he's arrested in the west wing <laughs> yeah. um but that's that's a topic for another show uh in this one he merely just shows up um and is lightly questioned by sam and toby about privacy issues um because in the words of Sam, uh, privacy is going to be the next big legal 
frontier, essentially. Uh, he says in the 20s and 30s, it was the role of government. Um, in the 50s and 60s, it was civil rights. And he says the next couple of decades are going to be about privacy because of the internet, because of cell phones, because of health records, because of who's gay and who's not. And I mean, this is, it's remarkably prescient. You know, it's not often yeah. that I, uh, you know, I'm jacking off here about Sorkin's writing, but it's literally, you know, I remember reading the, the same exact thing like in in leftist journals in the 2000s and stuff about being like, this is the next big concern here. And yeah. sure enough, everybody was fucking right. Yep. And, and we punted on it so hard that now the algorithm just knows everything about us and can predict our thoughts and actions. Uh, and privacy is a joke. So congratulations. <laughs> yeah. And so the in the course of this questioning or sort of like the, the examination of Mendoza's qualifications, we also find out that his like his his um gosh his course of life like his curriculum has been essentially entirely divergent from hank hooper peyton cabot harrison's Mm -hmm. road to a circuit judgeship or whatever where he's like actually you know he was like an immigrant and then he joined a police force got shot and wasn't able to you know, go on active duty, like a blue, blue here, but whatever. Right. wasn't able to go so on active duty. So he went, duty, to, so he went to, to a night school to get a law degree, um, you know, defended people in, I think it's either the Bronx or Queens um, from, you know, the predations of landlords or, and all this stuff. So basically it's just like, here's Mr. You know, blue blood Ivy league douchebag here who doesn't believe in a right to privacy. And then there's Mendoza. Right. Um, yeah, and it's 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 extremely telling where uh, when Mendoza's being questioned, he's very polite and soft-spoken. When the uh, uh, when I always forget the name Harrison is being uh, questioned, he is extremely uh, I mean to make it topical, Kavanaugh-esque <laughs> in his in his defense of himself, where he's just he's so angry and upset that he's even being questioned, uh, particularly by Sam, since Sam is young. Yeah, uh, which is of course the worst thing in the world for a young man to question an old white man about anything. Oh, God damn it, you're not smart because you're 15 years younger than I am, like. And then, and then Harrison just totally gives away the game with at the end just by saying, "I am an extremely well credentialed man, Mr. President," and as if I'm y- there. You unused, go. That's all I need. I think it's I'm unused to this level or tack of questioning and that is almost verbatim like your Kavanaugh bullshit yeah it's it's ridiculous like oh I'm sorry that you know applying for this lifetime job of the the highest honor in the land has you know some hoops to jump through (laughs) sorry about that next time we'll just make it a rubber stamp okay how's that sound Uh, yeah you know you're already functionally royalty why don't we just enshrine it forever yeah yeah, we can do a crowning and everything. <laughs> yeah. Actually, this is starting to sound kind of delightful. Yeah. <laughs> so, thankfully, they kind of, uh, they do end up going the right way here and uh, basically saying, like, look, we know we have an easy victory with Harrison, but he sucks. Or we could have a hard fight with Mendoza, but he's real good. And the show 90% of the time airs on the side of easy and safe 
uh, but this time does tack the 10% correct way and goes for the hard but correct fight, uh, which makes this an, an interesting episode and a, and a good one. Oh, and I, I love that they end up, it is, it's actually, and it's also, I think I said right before we started recording, it's an organic process that brings them there. around to making the correct decision as well. Outside of, Absolutely. Outside of, as you mentioned, sort of the deus ex machina of the unsigned note or unsigned letter or whatever. A relatively minor thing. You know, sure. I wouldn't call it deus ex machina, but, you know, it's a it's a plot driver, ex- Exactly. And so, like, through other than that, this is all arrived at through a process that, frankly, we would expect people to right. go through. To be vetted and to, yeah, exactly. This is this is the kind of thing what vetting is for, to, to catch these kind of things before before you make your decision. <laughs> yeah. So this is actually vetting working as intended. Yeah, and so they, they go through and they question EJO for a little while, and eventually he just, it, it's also, this is the only pacing um, struggle that I had with the episode is that like this is crammed into the last five minutes or so of yeah. the episode where all of a sudden they walk out that he says would you like the job welcome to the court they walk out the door and everybody's like applauding and <laughs> yeah. just walking around it's like that went from zero to like out the do- out the door done in yeah. 30 seconds <laughs> yeah it's super super quick <laughs> it's crazy fast because um, the the bowl, I guess it's meant to be this like twist you don't see coming kind of thing, mm. since it's focused so much on Harrison for the first you know thirty ish minutes or so of the runtime, and then like you said, almost doesn't show up until about like seven minutes before the episode is over. <laughs> is the first time we see him, he gets about two whole minutes of sitting down with the president and being questioned, and then like you said, he's out the door and people are clapping already. <laughs> it's they they literally the the only thing they dig into him about is the thing that disqualified the other guy so right the you're, you're either thing. maybe yeah. meant to assume that the the other due diligence has been done at this point which is fine that totally reasonable sure. but the only thing they really have time or dedicate script time to is digging in on the privacy thing which i think if we're done talking about um harrison yeah. versus mendoza we can actually go into and bring that up in the context of the lillian field accusation the final sort of issue that the episode raises, both in context of the Supreme Court justice replacement as well as the kind of disqualification thereof, is this app- uh, excuse me accusation of Congressman Lillianfield that the White House staff is 33% on drugs regularly. Yeah, on, <laughs> so, on the red. <laughs> <laughs> um, it is... It is presented entirely in a vacuum. You see him very briefly making this claim, and then on the, the steps of uh, the Capitol, mind yes. you, which which is a, a vignette that we will see utilized quite Fre- a bit, quite frequently. Yes, um, and at the time was also in popular, like a very um, this it is was a, a Gingrich, traditional a Gingrich, Gingrich type. Move. Yes, yeah, totally. <laughs> Where this you is invoke a very the power, Gingrich type thing to do. Yeah. Um, so anyway, and then once it's made, we hear, I think, next to nothing from Congressman Lillian Field, uh, scale actor number four. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Ever He's again. Gone. Yeah. So once once he makes this accusation, it's thrown on the White House staff to sort of wrestle with it. And there's a couple things that make this pretty interesting in the course of the show, um, you know, going forward. One is that... <laughs> Somehow we have flipped Mandy's political acumen around from last week's show in a bubble to being just wrong as hell. 
about this thing because she essentially says out loud, why would people worry if they have nothing to hide? Which is fucking abhorrent. Which is, (laughs) yeah, the worst privacy argument you can possibly make. Um, Absolutely. Thankfully, Um, everyone else basically talks sense into her. And by everyone else, I mostly mean Josh here. uh, Where Josh, you know, basically says, like, first off, there's 1,300 people who work here. Uh, Yes, I guarantee that many are on drugs because that's how people work. Yeah, like because everybody, because in, everyone in America uses drugs, uses drugs, you to use some drugs extent, and so the um, kind of the dramatic element that comes out of this is that Leo, mm-hmm. in addition to having the understood and previously kind of illuminated alcoholism, mm-hmm. is I don't know if explicitly said, but heavily implied and to be followed up on the idea that he also had a pill habit. Correct. In conjunction with his alcoholism at the time. Correct. Correct. Um, yeah. So that's that's what takes it over the top here. Because I actually I forgot that bit. Because I just have it in my notes here. Like, why is being a former alcoholic so scandalous? <laughs> Seems incredibly naive in a post-escalator world. Well, uh, but yes, he is also he was also a pill popper, and that's what comes to light in the course of uh, them investigating this drug drug use claim. And it's it's very uh, it's it's very lightly sketched out in the episode. Yeah. It is there's a it's a heavy implication and light on anybody directly mentioning or accusing excuse me accusing him of it. But it is also somewhat bizarre because Leo is the guy who then f- flips right around and says, "Oh, I have no problem subjecting my staffers to uh, thorough drug tests. Like fucking yeah. go nuts." Because it's understood right. that he has the he has the authority and the power to make whatever problem comes up on his end go away. Yeah, and I guess it's partially because like he's thinking like, well, I'm I'm clean now, so it's fine. Yeah, um, even though it is almost, I mean, it, if oh my, and I mean, frankly, to your point about it being quaint that he's a former alcoholic, that sure can get swept under the rug. But in the context of a former habitual drug user. That is almost if and being an alcoholic is problematic. That is like taking the problematic to sure. eleven. <laughs> yeah, totally. Because when you get into that point, then you start getting into like, well, is he cognitively capable of this job? You know, can we trust his decision making process if he is a former, you know, hard, habitual hard drug user kind of thing? And those are, you know, those are legitimate questions. Uh, it, but the basically the Josh's tack here is to say that this man accusing you is a pathetic waste of a man, whereas you are a great man, so we will ma- <laughs> we will fight this fight and and silence this pathetic man because you're so awesome. Well, and, and I think this dovetails perfectly into what I had notes here, is that it's basically everybody rallies to the defense of Leo in this context, and we are intended as viewers to have this sort of swell of devotion to Correct. this character. But until this point in the show... Leo is actually probably the only character who has not been the beneficiary of the development, humanization, um, like sort of fun, personal quirks type of treatment in the script, except for the quote unquote scare quotes here struggles that he has with his marriage. The only point of identification that your average viewer has of Leo being anything more than just sort of a crotchety automaton is the fact that he has a daughter and a wife and his singular nuclear family unit is 
falling apart. So right. I put just a note here. It's like the the only people who would empathize with this are the you know the white upper middle class boomers who fundamentally internalize that struggle as a badge of um, moral integrity or uh, just a virtue, which yeah. is weird because well said, well said because because I don't get it. Like, why do we give him the benefit of the doubt? That that speaks nothing to me about his character. It's, I mean, it comes down to the fact that, like, he's a protagonist. So you, like, you inherently root for the protagonist, you know? This is like with Breaking Bad, where people would root for Walt up until the end, <laughs> even as he became an inhuman monster, <laughs> you know? It's just, it's the way of framing media, and it's the way we view stories, where the protagonist is the hero. So Leo is the hero undergoing a struggle here, and not you know, a potential problem that needs to be solved. He is, Lillianfield is the problem that needs to be solved, not Leo. Yeah, and it's all defined as the presumptive framing of the episode describes it as such. There's no, there's no, it's all just, you take it at face value. Right, yeah, there's no, not not even an attempt to try to paint both sides of like, well, Lillian Field might have a point here or something like that. It's no, he's a pathetic waste of a man. <laughs> um, and t- to be fair, it is his accusation is patently ridiculous, and they yes. write it and play it as such. Oh, but on I the agree. other end, the other end, it's like the reaction to this is not to unilaterally drug test thirteen hundred people yeah. and destroy their careers. Yeah, and yeah, and their lives. Yeah, like. <laughs> Good luck getting hired anyone else if, when anywhere else if you were fired for uh, being a drug user at the White House, you know. And so another, so the final sort of little segue here is that the president's interaction with this is actually written very, um, very well in yes. hindsight because at this point, and hey, hey, spoiler alert for people who know nothing about the fucking West Wing. Um, the in, almost the entire rest of the show is threaded with a presidential privacy disclosure drama mm-hmm. that will come up with a like rear its head incredibly quickly as we go into the remaining entire six seasons right. of the West Wing. Yeah, I'm but, not sure when exactly it rears its head, but that will be a discussion for that particular episode. And at, um, at this point, it is. There, it is cold as ice. I thought he, there is I thought no you indication. Were gonna actually, discuss the fact that every time um, the president asks a staffer about the drug thing, they smartly and quietly tell him, "You don't need to know about this." Well, which is, I'm sure which is great. actually great um, because a yes, he shouldn't know about it, and b like he shouldn't he shouldn't care about it because a he can't do anything, and then c it's easier for like a press standpoint if he gets asked a question about it and it's clear he knows nothing about it. Yep, and that's I think, actually I think that's an important segue real quick into the press aspect. Yes. Of this, yeah, which I know you want to talk about. Yeah, let's discuss a f- the only real fun aspect of this episode, <laughs> which is Danny and CJ and their adorable little, I, I, I ship them so hard, you know? <laughs> I, I want them to make, I want these crazy kids to make it work. The story of a press secretary and a young upstart reporter who make it, make it happen, despite being star-crossed lovers who can never be together. Um, so in this... Um, regard uh josh and danny can canon talk and um josh like danny says like here i'll give you 
some info if you give me like something that CJ likes so I can, you know, get a gift or impress her. So or I can hit on her. Yeah, basically. <laughs> and so and so they do, and Josh is like, Well, she likes goldfish. And he's like, Okay, perfect. So then he shows up in her office with a with a goldfish in the bowl and everything. And uh and CJ's like, What the hell are you carrying a goldfish for? And he's like, Well Josh told me you like goldfish and CJ and Allison Janney here deserves all the praise in the world because she just laughs with her whole body in this way that is so entertaining to watch. Such a, a wonderfully authentic just piece of act. It's four seconds of acting. That yeah, is and I have to wonder how many good. how many takes they did and if she was this good <laughs> on every take because it's yeah. just it's incredible. Because forcing yourself to laugh at something is probably one of the trickiest things to do as an actor. Like real laughter versus like fake laughter. It's one of those. things things that humans are actually really good at figuring out just instinctively like oh you're fake laughing i can tell mm-hmm. so like that she, smile on your face doesn't reach your eyes right you know, it's, it's, but here she just she dies laughing because of course josh meant the goldfish crackers yeah. not not actual goldfish <laughs> uh but the goldfish becomes a main character named gail uh yep. gail will show up in every episode in cj's office from now on with a with a cute little prop in Gale's fishbowl that is apropos to whatever the topic of the episode is. <laughs> uh, so we, I will be on Gale's fishbowl watch throughout the, the rest of the, this podcast. And it, it you know, again, this uh, just the writing in this episode is so tight that this relationship um, neatly parallels the fundamental conflict, the administration stance versus the people's rights. This stuff, it's, it's embodied in the two characters and their interaction, mm-hmm. which is which is, you know, somewhat neoliberalishly like, oh, we can find a compromise between, you know, transparency and investigative journalism. Right. But at the same time, it's very much just like, it's it's super fascinating because they wrote this as almost a, it's not comic relief, but it is very much not a, a serious well, part of the drama here. Here's, here's the thing. This is the kind of characterizing, humanizing moment that you're saying Leo doesn't get that you know we're giving away to CJ here, so exactly. this is this is exactly those kinds of things that now if CJ has a crisis later on we're gonna feel sympathetic for her because we've seen these kind of moments and they didn't give Leo that kind of moment which is why the sympathy for him feels harder to drum up. Yeah, seems misplaced almost. Yeah, because he's just instead of being a delightful person who laughs with their whole body in in a great way, he's a curmudgeonly old man. <laughs> You know, I don't think we've seen Leo smile ever. Yeah, and he rarely he and rarely la- does. Laugh. Mm-hmm. Jeez. Yeah, like so I think, you know, part of it is just good writing versus, you know, good character writing. And it's important even in these big episodes where, you know, this episode is just devoted to these two major topics, but they still find time to get in a couple good character moments. Not only for CJ, Josh and Donna get a couple with the whole uh comedy bit with the ceiling falling down. Um, and stuff like that, that, you know, I think as a writer, you have to spread these moments out amongst all of your main cast or else you get the kind of trouble we get here with Leo. Yeah. And I mean, you actually have a note at the very end here that says we actually do get a little bit of a weird heel turn with Toby in this episode, in spite of him having been sort of like, he's my favorite political perspective to date here, where he's actually just, he goes hard on just wanting to get 
Harrison, Harrison through. You know, he's like, let's get it done. He's like, I want to win a fight. Is is like Toby's mode is just I want to win a fight. And so his his idea is I'm you know in the beginning of the episode he's like I'm getting Harrison on this court and he's like <laughs> super angry about it. And then he you know toward the end he he's. Is just being obsessed with just getting it done, uh, as opposed to actually listening to the arguments or thinking about if Harrison would be a good justice, or uh, cleaving at all. to cleaving to procedure even in that. But because where he was, he's a very thorough and like stickler to the almost to the rules in favor of his political philosophy thing. Whereas this time, he's just like. Like all that can go by the wayside. Yeah, let's just damn, do it. Damn do the it, do rules, it, do it. full speed ahead. Yeah, you know? exactly. So absolutely, I think that's all we've got. That, I for think this that episode. wraps it up pretty well. Um, this was a, a fun and good episode for the most part. Much better um, than the last, <laughs> the episode, last one, <laughs> where we don't talk about enemies as much as we used to. <laughs> <laughs> and also, so speaking of good episodes, next week uh-huh. is a little bit of a. It is a controversial episode among fans and in the canon in general and knowing uh this the next episode's name is in excelsis deo um and we will have with any luck as i work out the scheduling a guest contributor on next week's episode of the podcast my friend logan who works um in north carolina as a sort of political activist he has asked me to join us once we get to this episode because he likes to talk about it apparently so he'll have some material excellent well i'm looking forward to that uh and our further discussion of the west wing um you can reach us on the something awful forums in our thread um you can also email the show at the worst wing 69 at gmail.com if you have nice. any questions suggestions or comments um and we look forward to seeing you next next time as we discuss in excelsius deo all right, we'll talk to you guys later. Bye-bye. Bye. all the money you ask for, but don't ask me to come on all